while I have been treated uh, by many musical partners as kind of an accessory, you know, and um, that's really, that's really the worst thing is to be, is to be treated as like, a, you know, a, a frilly thing that sort of gets people's attention, but isn't really like, you're not really skilled at what you do. You're not really talented. There's really nothing to singing. It's just, you know, you just got to be a pretty girl and, you know, wear a dress. This is Wine, Women, and Revolution with your host, Heather Warburton. Hi, and welcome to Wine, Women, and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton. Today, it's we're having an episode that I kind of had the thought about this episode a couple of months ago, right about the uh, time of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, this year's inductees were announced. And I really just kind of started thinking about how there's not a whole lot of women in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and what kind of gatekeeping has been done in the music industry. And luckily, I happen to know an awesome female musician who lives here in South Jersey. And I met her through some uh, doing some work with the, the local South Jersey DSA chapter. So I'd like to welcome to the show Shannon McGill. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Heather. Good to be with you. <laughs> Isn't that what you're supposed to say? <laughs> Good to be with you. Thank you for having me here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> uh, so you are a musician here in South Jersey. How long have you been in the music industry? Um, I don't know if I'd call it an industry, but <laughs> I've been in music since, um, I guess, around 2002. Okay, so you've been working a long time. Almost it, 20 years. Yeah, so you've seen a lot of the ins and outs of uh, sexism and biases have, yes. in the music industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I but first, let's talk about your current band that you're with now. Your current band that you're with is called The Flying Vs. That's right. Um, I am with uh, a band called The Flying Vs. We just got together, I guess it was last year. Um, it's me and three other women. Um, two are from out in rural Pennsylvania. It's called Fayetteville, almost to West Virginia. And one of the girls, um, Hannah Taylor, she lives in South Philly. She's originally from um, Rochester, New York, I think. Um, but, uh, we got together and, um, started writing songs and we've just been like, you know, a hot little song factory, just churning stuff out. Um, things are going great. Um, I hope after all this, um, stuff blows over that we can get back together and get back on the stick with it because we had some momentum going, you know? Right. You recently were featured on NPR or an NPR like song festival. Yeah. So, um, they, NPR does this thing, their music blog is called All Songs Considered, and um, they every year do a tiny desk contest where you submit um, a video of your song, and then if you win, um, they pay for a tour, I think, you win some cool package where they promote your music, you know, um, and it's the... Tiny Desk concerts have become really popular among, you know, national artists. It's like a chance for them to kind of like strip down and get in a small space and do what they do to a small audience, intimate audience. And then they obviously broadcast it nationwide. So um, we didn't win. They No one's won yet, but we did make it to um, one of their weekly blogs, which was pretty great because yeah, they feature cool. hundreds of people enter and they only feature like 
three or four each week. So I do happen to have a clip of your song um, here. Uh, the song is called Back Up, Motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was a clip from your song, Back Up, Motherfucker. And I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just, you have to kind of say it so blase, like, back up, motherfucker. But really, this is a song that every woman that's ever gone to a bar can relate to. Or anywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah, any public place, really, I guess. Um, so yeah. obviously, you know, you're writing songs with this band. Um, you know, what other songs do you have with the band? I didn't see you had any other ones up on YouTube yet. No, there's not. We just uploaded one today. Um, it's called Bobby Ann Can't Find a Boyfriend, which is a <laughs> funny <laughs> title. But um, uh, one of the other girls in the band, Breck and Chase, wrote it. It's kind of like a, a folksy story song um you could check it out at youtube flying bees it's easy to find i don't think there's many other songs called bobby and can't find a boyfriend so you can just put or back up motherfucker both yeah, of which yeah. <laughs> might be a good way of finding you yeah so you've been in the music industry now for 20 years like what kind of sexism have you seen firsthand from i mean even just in like your little microcosm of it yeah well you know let me um, preface this by saying that I've had a lot of good relationships with um, male musicians throughout my, I guess you could call it a career, I don't know. <laughs> throughout my experience in music, I've worked with a lot of um, wonderful fellas, but it doesn't obviously erase the fact that there is definitely a double standard in music and, um, you know, sexism is everywhere and and music is no different and a lot of times you know it's a a special case with me because i don't i don't know whether sometimes to call it sexism or singerism because <laughs> there are a lot of um you know i don't play an instrument i dabble in ukulele a little bit but um not to the point where i could be functional with it in a professional way um so i've always just sung and um, I just started writing songs about 10 years ago. Um, just, you say that. just, but 10 years well, is just. a long time. I mean, I don't, <laughs> but I mean, it's taken a long time to develop those songs and get them played by bands and get them recorded. But um, up until then, I mean, for the, for the major part of, of my musical 
career, I, I feel so pretentious saying career, but um, I was only a singer and um, only really a singer of covers, mostly, mostly standards, um, incidentally. And it's funny, like having that song, Backup Motherfucker, if, I mean, if that's what gets out there and that's what I'm known for, it would be really ironic because I spent so long just singing the most polite songs I could as like a background cocktail duo. But um, where was I? Yeah, there is definitely a double standard for female singers, for sure. Um, and, and just singers in general, because, um, you know, for me, it's strange that it's always up in the air with instrumentalists, whether they want to include us in the group of what they call musicians, or whether we're something different, um, whether we're enter entertainers, or mostly I feel like I'm um, treated, well, I have been treated uh, by many musical partners as kind of an accessory, mm -hmm. you know, and um, that's really, that's really the worst thing is to be is to be treated as like, um, you know, a, a frilly thing that sort of gets people's attention, but isn't really like, you're not really skilled at what you do. You're not really talented. There's really nothing to singing. It's just, you know, you just got to be a pretty girl and, you know, wear a dress, which I don't think is really true because right. I know a lot of really good looking people that can't sing. <laughs> you know, no offense. But, um, but yeah, that you know, I have definitely experienced the feeling of, um, you know, uh, musicians speaking together, musicians talking to one another and excluding me because I'm just a, a sh you know, a showpiece or something. Right. You're kind of just there to um, be pretty. Right. I'm just there to, um, to, to kind of glam things up a little bit and, and be cute. But, it, but in reality, um, you know, singing is a skill. People say, to, you know, that it's a talent, but it really isn't. No, I don't believe in the concept of talent. It's not real. Um, you get good at something by doing it over and over and over and practice practicing it um, ad nauseum and being, becoming obsessed with it. And, um, that's how I've become, you know, the type of singer that people want to listen to. I don't know if you call me good or whatever, but, um, yeah, I, I would call you good. I love your voice. I think you have a great voice. That's my <laughs> point. Um, as much hard work is involved in singing as in, in the practice of any other musical discipline. I would say, you know, the hours that you have to log singing, actually singing and um, and listening to other singers to improve your technique or whatever. I mean, that's something. It's practice. And it's the same as someone would practice guitar or practice drums or whatever. Yeah, your voice right. is your instrument, basically. That's true. And um, for a long time, you know, I uh, now stop me if I'm talking too much. I know it's a podcast, <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, for a long time, I sort of like cheapened that. I thought, well, singing is just something I do for fun. And yeah, I, like I do it very often and I, I'm constantly trying to improve myself. But, um, you know, guitar practice is real, like piano practice is real and 
these guys that I know that are so good, like these guys are real and I'm not, I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm something else. I'm just like a hanger on. Right. And that's kind of what's pushed onto you in the music industry. You know, you've Absolutely. kind of internalized that oppression that's, you know, there's historically been gatekeepers of what's considered art and what's not considered art. And the gatekeepers yeah. have been very, oh, only men can write compelling songs. You know, I had a comedian on that, you know, it was the same thing. Only men are funny. Women aren't funny. Well, women yeah. can't write compelling songs. And that kind that's of gatekeeperism. Women aren't funny. Oh, that bothers me so much. It's like, women weren't even allowed to speak in public for like, you know, until 20 years ago. Can you give us a minute to catch up? You know, <laughs> right. that's why I say, like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, but that kind of gatekeeping is something that I think, even though maybe it's slightly changing, like the gates are different, or maybe there's different gatekeepers now, but I think it's still very much in the music industry these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. For, I mean, I remember before I ever started playing out and um, just being in high school, you know, and college. And I knew I could sing or I suspected that I could anyway, but I was always, always waiting for some dude with a guitar to give me the permission to sing. If that makes sense. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? I was always the person like kind of, waiting around at parties or gatherings for like some dude that could play three chords to be like, Hey, do you know any tunes? Like I never took the initiative um, because I didn't think that my skill, whatever I had, like I said before, was worth anything. I thought, oh, right. well, <laughs> you didn't have that confidence of the right. white guy with an acoustic guitar at a beach party who takes that guitar with him everywhere and knows four chords, maybe. Exactly. You know? And he knows four chords and he just projects the confidence of a god. And you're like, well, he, this is it. He must be a real musician and I'm whatever I am, you know? And um, I don't know how much of that was imposed on me or how much was. Well, I mean, you know, we are a product of the society we're in, you know, that's kind of socialism 101 there that everything yeah. about the society does imprint on us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely true. And I think right. the other thing, too, is just the commodification of women's bodies in the music industry. Like, mm -hmm. you know, now there's well, women can be musicians, but you've got to be a pop musician and you've got to look a certain way. You Absolutely. know, that's very and it's almost like they're, you know, and guys can walk around and look like a hot mess and be, um, you know, considered amazing musicians. But there's that's definitely sure. how to, it's still those control of women's bodies in the music industry quite a bit. Have you seen that yeah. kind of thing in oh, your. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And I have um, internalized that idea to the extreme. Um, I remember having an argument. This was 10, 15 years ago with a guy who was also in a cover, a different band. And he was saying, and I was saying like, you know, for me, I would never perform in a pair of pants, never. And I, and it's true. I never have to this day. I haven't, I would never perform in pants. I would never get out there without makeup on, without, you know, my Shannon McGill costume. Um, and this guy was like, that's ridiculous. It's about the music. Don't you know? Like, I, I don't care if I'm in a pair of jeans or, or if, if I'm, in my flip-flops, um, but I feel like the standard for women is different. As mm -hmm. you say, 
you know, you can go to the boardwalk and <laughs> see these cover bands with dudes in tank tops and cargo shorts and shit. But a woman has to look different. She has to look her best. She has to look like some type of, I don't know. Like a showpiece, you right. know what I mean? And your like band she, specifically, because if people haven't seen any uh, images of your band, you definitely embrace that sort of pinup, like 40s pinup, like punk pinup vibe. Well, I'm trying, your... Heather, but that's not going to last much longer. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to find a different way to be interesting eventually, you know? But your whole but, band um, kind of has that same vibe. Like you've definitely found yeah. a lot of women that all sort of embrace that. Like almost it's a rockabilly sort of aesthetic, but that's not really right. the music you play, but you know. Right, and they're um, lucky to be attractive, but you know, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, um, I don't know, like would we have made it to that, to the final, to the NPR blog? Would people be interested in our videos if we, if we didn't look that way? I'm afraid of that answer. Right, yeah, I, I mean, because who knows, like society, you just don't know which what it is like, oh, you know, these girls are very pretty and this girl can sing and, the, you know, these girls, you know, these women can play. But, yeah. you know, who knows? Like there was definitely a certain aesthetic to that that it is probably compelling some people. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been making these videos on my on my uh, Instagram where I film myself singing with no accompaniment and I don't have makeup on and I look like a wreck. Um and my theory is like, I just want people to know, like, it, you could sound good. You don't have to, you don't have to get all duded up to make music, you know, mm -hmm. I, like that was something that I never thought about when I was young and strong and <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I was, and I was attractive. Um, but it's really true. Like, you learn as you get older and the, the longer you do this, that falls away. If you don't, you know, women are prized obviously when they're, when they're young and for how they look, but if you don't have the goods, it's not going to let, you know, that mm -hmm. you're not going to last long. Right. I, I Maybe a pop fl flash in the pan, one album. That's not true. That's not true. Because look at Britney Spears. <laughs> <laughs> so what am I talking about? I don't know. And also now there's kind of been this odd twist with capitalism of like, you know, and maybe it's a bit of identity politics mixed in there of like, buy this album because she's a woman at the, you know, right. there's like this weird capitalization of trying to change this movement that I think yeah. a, a lot of artists like, you know, that's kind of their one hit wonder is oh, you know, it's girl power. It doesn't really much matter how good the song is because it's an anthem, yeah, man. Right. And I, I um, expect to be accused of that, like playing this all-girl group as a gimmick. But for me, um, this is the the culmination of, of so much, so many different musical situations where I finally feel like comfortable and listened to and on an equal plane with everybody in the group, which is something that's never happened to me before. Um, but Do you think that's because that, it's women or just because you're a yeah. little older now? Like, yeah, I know. And <laughs> well, it is because, and I'm the oldest one in the group, which has never been the case for me before. Um, but also because, you know, I'm among other women and um, there's just a certain way of relating that 
makes it different, you know? And it's because all these girls have been in bands with dudes only up until now. And you can, I can see it in all of them. And I hope I'm not offending them, but I can see that, that um, instinct to fall back. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? When we discuss like, well, what do you want to do here? What do you want to like, what song do you want to do next? What, like, what should we do in this part? Who, who wants to take the lead here? I can see that instinct for each of them to defer, you know? And, um, and so somebody has to take a leadership role and, and I think we share that certainly, but we're not used to it. Right. I see that I definitely am not. And I know the other girls aren't either. So it's been a whole new world, you know? So who would you say have been your biggest musical influences and what women should be in the rock and roll hall of fame that are not? <laughs> oh my God. That's a really good question. Is Joni Mitchell on the hall of fame? I don't think she is. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> she is a genius and should be in the hall of fame. Um, Nina Simone should be in there. I mean, I know she's more jazz, but she's also a genius and should be in there. Um, Chrissy Hind ought to be in there. I think she is, or she was going to be from the pretenders. Um, who else do I love? Fiona Apple, I love. Um, uh, obviously, Aretha Franklin, she's a, a goddess. I mean, is that rock and roll or is it R&B? Does it matter? She should be in every Hall of Fame there is. Um, should I keep going? <laughs> um, I was just looking to see if Joni Mitchell was in, uh, she actually is, but it wasn't until oh, she, 97 oh, okay. that she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When was it? 97. 97. Oh, okay, good. Well, they got it. <laughs> so she'd been uh, doing performances for quite a while by then. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's my fault for not knowing that already, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, she deserves to be there for sure. And would you say those are kind of the, your musical influences, the women who you sort of looked up to when you were like, you yeah. know, I'm going to become a musician? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Carol King, too. Um, when I was a kid, uh, my parents had a big record collection, and Joni Mitchell was one of the first that I ever remember listening to and, like, reading the lyrics along with the record, you know, with the record and um, thinking to myself, like, this is what music should sound like, you know, just a woman, real stripped down, wordy, <laughs> um, talking about her own experience and honest, you know, um, intimate like that. Not that backup motherfucker is any of those things. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard, you know, I have heard you play other things. Like I said, I, you know, you play, the, you constantly play the ukulele. Don't you have like the IWW songbook that you play songs oh, out? <laughs> have to dig it out now while I'm on quarantine. Make yeah. some more dispatches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, like, you know, I just posted this morning, um, you know, we're basically on the doorstep of socialism or barbarism right now, so maybe you do need to so. yeah. dig out the songbook and try to uh, push it into the side of socialism. That's right, that's right. Um, I, you know, I wish I would have fought harder <laughs> before all this happened. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, we all do what we can, you know, like, 
I think of you as an activist. That's why you're on the show. That's how I came to know you was through DSA and South Jersey DSA actually did really good work. Like I know my business partner, Brian, maybe has some disagreements with DSA on occasion, sometimes quite loudly. You know, um, it's not for everybody and it's not a perfect organization, certainly, but, um, you know, we were just trying to do what we could and I was trying to just spread the gospel of of socialism because I think it's the way we should really live. I think it's the way we're going to survive. And as an artist, like under socialism, you'd be supported, you know, <laughs> like it wouldn't, I mean, I guess so. you wouldn't have to commodify <laughs> yourself. You'd actually just but, be supported. Yeah. yeah. I never thought of it that way, but I guess you're right. Um, I just saw it as the most humane humane way forward for everybody. Right. Obviously that's, you know, we should take care of each other. Right. Exactly. To share the burden of, of care. And I really don't understand why everybody doesn't see it that way. You know, you know, choir and the preaching to them (laughs) at this moment. (laughs) You're on a socialist podcast here, you know, (laughs) even though we are supposed to be talking about music, but you know, I can't break away from talking about socialism a little bit here and there. Yeah, you can't you can't ignore the elephant in the room, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, it's part it's because of capitalism that all these things we're talking about are a thing. I mean, you know, we have to do bring it back to that, that all of the, you know, sexism in music and the commodification of women's bodies and control of women and not wanting them to have voices all comes yeah. back to capitalism. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely true. Um Right, because I feel like a lot of people, men, <laughs> let me just say it, um, consider women products more than they consider them human beings. Um, I felt that at a very deep level, many times in music, especially. And um, like all the times that, you know, I finished singing for three hours and it was time to get paid and whoever was paying us, um, interacted only with my male partner <laughs> you know what i mean right um all the times that the check was handed to him in his name um the many many times um i always felt that way that like i wasn't an equal partner i wasn't a person doing just as much even when i was in a duo <laughs> there's only is, two of you <laughs> yeah there's only two of us so you can i'm doing half and the other person's doing half i always felt like i was you know an accessory. And mm-hmm. I know I already said that, but um, bookers, people who hired us, most of the time they interacted with him and not me, even though obviously I was just as capable. Sometimes I leaned into that so there was less work for me to do, I'll admit it. But um, it just always seemed to be the, um, the default to deal with the man. Right. I mean, and there's this, there is a commercialization, there's a commercial aspect to music because we live under capitalism. And in advertising and those kinds of things, women's bodies are treated as products. Like, they're literally yeah. just an object in commercials. So, of course, that's going to flow over into music where, you know, think about how many bands you can think of with, like, women in their videos that are just there as objects. Like, Absolutely. that's like every band during the 80s, you know? Yeah, and like, <laughs> Gwen Stefani, like, can she even sing or does she just have abs? You know what I mean? I (laughs) wonder sometimes. (laughs) But it's true. Like, we're focused on these aspects of women's bodies and not a lot of times um, 
what they what they're bringing to the table musically, artistically, you know. Right, what they actually have to say. What they have to say, right. Um, or even, shit, even if they don't have anything to say and did like I did for years, just just interpreted songs, just sang other people's songs. I mean, that's something important too. You know, you, you um, express yourself in those parameters. You know, that's what being an artist means. Like you take those limitations of someone else's words, someone else's changes, and you, you um, say something about yourself and your own experience through it. And um, that's more valuable always than what dress you have on for sure right yeah absolutely you know your boobs are and mine are pretty big but still <laughs> not i like to that's why I, not why i was successful at music it wasn't your me. boobs really that wasn't it <laughs> didn't hurt me none heather but <laughs> i don't want to give them all the credit <laughs> Your voice had something to do with it, <laughs> just a little. Something. It was like ninety-five percent boobs and five percent voice. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's how some people make you feel. Uh huh. <laughs> but no, I mean, I feel that too. Like, if I'm going to do a presentation or do a speech, like you know, think about when I spoke at DSA. I wore a dress. Do you know how many times right. I wear a dress? Like, yeah, you look lovely, of course. But you're right. You, you always feel the. Um, you always feel as a woman that your appearance, your present, the presentation of your physical self is primary, you know, and that um, I always thought like <laughs> if I had a sore throat or something and I knew I was going to sound like shit, like I would, I would do extra. I would mm -hmm. wear like a pushed up bra, you know, extra red lipstick, higher heels, whatever to distract. And I feel like, you know, that is um this that's shitty it's terrible but um that's the way people relate to women and it's sad it is do you see things changing for the better though um yeah i think they are i think uh i think women are getting more comfortable being themselves um i don't know how much of it is you know the larger world or how much of it is just me getting older and not giving a shit anymore. But um, I feel so encouraged every time <laughs> I'm on Instagram and I see these young women who aren't shaving their legs and <laughs> like letting it all hang out. Do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. just like being themselves without apologizing for not, um, not presenting themselves just for the male gaze that they're just, being them their natural selves and they're saying what they want to say um i think that young people now are um coming into that freedom the freedom that i've never felt i really had you know i always felt the the um pressure or the the obligation to sanitize myself for public consumption and and even like change the way i sang in a lot of cases um and what I sang in order not to offend anyone. And um, I see young people more and more 
not just not giving a shit. Right. And I think with music, like before, there were very specific gatekeepers of if you got hurt or not was like the record labels. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. so you had to get through them as gatekeepers. And now you can put your music anywhere. You can put it on Instagram, on YouTube. So a lot of those old school gatekeepers are gone now. I mean, and the Internet can be a vile place. Don't get me wrong. It can be equally horrible. But But I think it's just accessibility. Yeah. Um, it's democratic and anybody now can um, hop on SoundCloud and, and upload their, their music to SoundCloud or to YouTube or whatever it is. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, like the, the quality control sure isn't there, but um, it's, a, it's a level playing field more and more people, I think, feel emboldened to make music and express themselves. And that's always great, you know. Yeah, I think that's maybe. I would say like the internet is like the meek inheriting the earth, like the people that are shy or they might not have had confidence before to get out there and get it in front of a crowd or whatever, or even, you know, be in a band and, and work with a band that way. Um, they can, <laughs> they can like develop their own stuff privately in their own house and, and then broadcast it out. And that's a beautiful thing, I think. Right. Yeah, and it does. Like, you know, there's a lot more. And I guess there's just a lot more accessibility to instruction as well because of the Internet. Um, But, you know, like I've been playing guitar for 20 years and I've never played in front of somebody who didn't already love me. You know, that's kind of like, you know, like you've already got to be a really good friend or my husband or my family. Like I've never played in front of anybody. <laughs> and like well, not, you should. <laughs> I should. And a couple yeah. of like years ago I would play like something on ukulele like because I, I was like I mean I know you play ukulele too but you don't have to play that well like you know because yeah. <laughs> of this unique sound of a ukulele it's not the same as like a guitar you know <laughs> no it's true I know the, the ukulele is just really it's a lower hard. pressure instrument <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> So, like, I'll play that on the internet or something, but, you know. Yeah, it is a lot um, easier, like, more low pressure. And, yeah, like I said, I just use it as a crutch to be able to sing, you know. Yeah, because singing without anything is really hard. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and disorienting to people, I think, you know. Mm -hmm. You need some type of instrument there to kind of root the ear, to orient the ear. Otherwise, it just sounds like, I don't know. Just the voice is maybe almost a little unnerving or just not what you're used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we are just about out of time for today. So did you have any, like, closing words, uh, plugs of where people can see you, uh, messages for young musicians? Everything's on the Internet. (laughs) So just look me up. My name is Shannon McGill-Vasile, and um, my first band was She Hates Me. I have a band called The Charming Snakes. I'm going to put some of that stuff up on Spotify pretty soon. and of course the flying bees. Um, but my, I do have something to say to young musicians and that's, um, I would say, you know, don't, don't wait for someone to give you permission to do what you want to do. Don't wait for someone to define you as a musician or define you as a songwriter to, to call you a songwriter or call you a, mus- a musician. I, I think you should call yourself that believe that's what you are. And, um, just, practice as much as you can, devote as much time as you possibly can to developing your skill, you know, and um, if you love it, you got to do it. You got to. It's not about the money. 
course I've never made any, well, a little money, but not, <laughs> not a lot. Um, can't do it for the money. You just have to do it because, you know, your soul needs to do it. That's all. Yeah, I think that's a great place to close it out for today. Thank you so much for being here. It's been great talking to you as always. Thanks, Heather. Thank you so much for doing this with me. To my listeners, thank you so much for joining us here today. Like Shannon was just saying, you know, you maybe don't always make a lot of money in what you're doing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, especially here, if you're challenging capitalism, you certainly don't get a lot of sponsors lining up to uh, give you their money. For some reason, we just haven't quite figured that out yet, why they Amazon doesn't want to give us any money. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> the future is to create. Go out there and create it.